Hey y'all, and welcome to Building Better Brands. My name is Amy Angel, and I'm a lecturer at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. I'm also a consultant and a small business coach. Those who know me know that I love working with local small businesses, and I also love teaching. So I've launched a podcast to connect two of my faves. I'm really hoping that this podcast will encourage small businesses and my students to uh, be another avenue for learning. What my goal is here on Building Better Brands is to share the stories of small businesses, their beginnings, their successes, their pain points, and their plans for the future. So I'm doing something unusual for the kickoff of the podcast, but gosh, this has been a really unusual year, right? Um, And probably like you, COVID has caused me to reevaluate some things. And I can't think of anything more meaningful than the brand that we're kicking off my podcast with. So we're opening with a brand called Kidney for Carcho, which is a live kidney donor campaign. So let me introduce my friend I'm sitting here with, or rather Zooming with. Her name's Brianna Carcho. Hey, Bree, how's it going? Good. Just, you know, enjoying this fine Tuesday in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're coming out of it. So yes. it feels, you know, one day it feels like spring and the next day it feels like winter, you know, typical Michigan weather. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys passed it to us in Chicago because yesterday it was sleeting here. And I was like, where did this come from? I was wearing a tube top on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, and I heard today's an important day for you. You're getting a a fancy shot, right? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I finally secured the coolest ticket of my life, the COVID vaccine scheduled appointment. (laughs) Yeah. I got, like, called last minute because I had my name on a bunch of lists and um, yeah, finally secured an appointment today at 1230. So I'm so excited. Oh, um, so, so great. Yeah. Oh, I hope you have <laughs> no side effects. Yeah, I have, I've heard the first one's good. It's the second shot that I've heard. Some people yeah, but uh, you know what? You know, everybody's so different. So true. Hopefully yeah. you will feel just fine. And true. then I hope I'll be calling you next saying I secured my ticket too. Yay. <laughs> so yes. So anyway, so we should tell everybody a little bit about how we know each other. So y'all, I um, met Bree back when she was a student of mine at Ross Business School at University of Michigan. Um, what was it, Bree? I think it was the fall of 2016. So yeah. it seemed like sometimes forever ago, but gosh, that wasn't that long ago. And now yeah. you've gone on to do a lot of things. Um, But after that class, I had you again um, in the winter of 17 and designing persuasive communications. And you rocked that class so well that I asked you to be a TA the following um, winter in 2018. And we did some fun stuff together. Um, Mm -hmm. You got me super organized. Uh, (laughs) So one of the best TAs I've ever had. Then you graduated and you went on um, into a sales career. 
Then mm-hmm. some years passed, and you called me last fall when I was prepping for the fall semester, and um, you told me you were taking a little break in your sales career. Maybe you should tell our listeners <laughs> all about that. Yeah, so obviously blushing from all your compliments. Thanks, Amy. Um, but yeah, so that's correct. Um, essentially, I left my corporate position with the sole goal of helping to find my dad a living kidney donor um, since I found out that I wouldn't be able to donate. So I was I was actually going to donate to him initially, um, but the doctors declined my, my application because I had a bunch of kidney stones and like a similar genetic makeup to my dad, I guess, um, where the similar, you know, like the future risks were really, really high. Um, so when I got declined, I like, found out this, this was the perfect time, right? Like it's COVID. Um, my career too, they had us at a 20% and just a lot of variables where I was like, what am I doing here? Wasting my time when I could, you know, take so many more of these resources and adapt them to helping save a life and potentially help saving others. Right. Um, so yeah, I took a step back, took the plunge and currently unemployed, but working on so many passion projects and, um, it's really been super empowering and um, quite the journey, to be honest with you. I can't imagine the journey you're on and must have been, um, yeah, definitely empowering and exciting to to go through that process and um, hope to be accepted and then <laughs> and then to be declined must have yeah. been emotional. But as mm-hmm. I've learned from you, there's so many ways that we can help um, mm-hmm. in a process like this. So no doubt you are helping in a lot of other valuable ways. And mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do, too, which is, by the way, listeners, why Brie called. Because um, in my Designing Persuasive Communications class, the one that Brie was a TA in, um, because she knew exactly what the class was about, Um, This is a class where students work with real brands, real clients, and we create um, turnkey promotional campaigns um, Mm -hmm. where it's all research and strategy-based. Brie knew that this could be a great partnership to really find her father a living kidney donor. So when she explained uh, his whole story, I, you know, said we should partner. So that's what Mm -hmm. we're doing. And here in week nine of the semester, she has four student teams working with her. We've already, they've already done the research and now they're at the creative strategy stage. So it's super Mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah, I think that going back to that first time I called you too, I remember I was showering and I was trying to think about different resources that I could utilize. And like, I my best thoughts come to me in the shower. I just like, <laughs> there's it. no distractions or anything. And I remember hopping out and I was literally still in my towel and I just called you and I was like, Amy, I have a really interesting idea of how to utilize your students to help save lives. And you're like, like we're a marketing class like what are you talking about um so I'm glad that you you know accepted the call and no uh, I love it humored me especially with such an off-topic crazy idea well you know crazy or not uh this is what our students need to be involved in we spend so much time working on what we consider real brands and Mm -hmm. but this is real it doesn't get any more than, than real than this and we want to spend a little bit more time on um, nonprofits, on charitable mm-hmm. t- 
types of things that really are meaningful. And this has been pretty darn meaningful. Um, so, Bree, tell us more about your dad. I um, know that our listeners, and I know that I would really like to know more about Manuel Carcho. Yeah. So, so my dad's an immigrant from Iraq. His family of 10, yes, I said 10, um, they came to the United States in 1967, and they immigrated to Metro Detroit. Um, so, there he was, you know, working in the bars and a bunch of oddball jobs, honestly, like he, you know, what didn't get a formal education because he was the eldest male of 10 and was essentially helping his family survive. So one day he's working in the bar too. And that's actually where he met my mom. My dad was a bouncer at the bar and my mom was a, a coat check lady. Um, and that's where they met. And my mom is also an immigrant as well. So she immigrated from Malta. It's a little tiny, gorgeous island under Italy, probably like 60 miles off the coast of Sicily. So they both uh. found common ground in that. Um, they got married and then together had me and my three older brothers. Um, and now we have an even bigger extended family with four grandbabies. And we actually have one more due in two weeks. There's a little Carson Carcho is coming out, making his appearance. Carson in two Carcho. Weeks. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it. Like he's, he has such a radio name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, all around, like, I guess my dad's overall, it, it, to encompass in a couple of words, are probably just like family man, entrepreneurial mindset. Like he's always been a business owner, and his main priority in life has always been making sure that he can provide for his family. Um, he's obsessed with like luxury cars and mo power though. So he's definitely like a true Metro <laughs> Motor City man. Like he his, he bought, purchased his first car at 15 years old for $25, couldn't even drive, but just would go sit in it. And then it got stolen like two months later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I mean, all around, I'd say like his hobbies too include like, Probably, probably mostly cars and, and refinishing those two. And uh, growing up, like, with I had three older brothers, that was the main, you know, way that they always communicated and hung out together was when they were working on cars. cars. And um, if you look in our garage, we literally have cars stacked on top of each other. Oh, my. Hoist. Yeah, he took our three-car garage and turned it into a six-car garage with the yeah. craziness. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I mean he's a true epitome, I'd say, like, even of the American dream, being quite honest, like, came here with nothing, his wife's an immigrant, he's an immigrant, they combined forces to really make sure that they were able to create a family and take full advantage of the opportunity, and then they rate, he radiated that across his children, like, I'm a first generation, first, first generation American and first generation college student, um, and there's nothing more satisfying than being able to do something like that, for your yeah, family, right, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit about us, obviously, just a touch, but um, he's a he's a through and through Detroit bred man, and he's darn proud to be an American. Quite oh. <laughs> well, I remember you telling me a little bit about your family over the years when you were a student and then a TA, and, um, and then after meeting your dad a couple of weeks ago, I can definitely tell that that his priority is his family, um, just mm-hmm. like it is for you. Uh, so, um, I have to ask you though, uh, what's his current medical situation like? I mean, for you, um, Mm -hmm. to leave a, um, sales career that you were excelling at, 
things must be pretty urgent right now. Yeah. So currently he's in stage four renal failure. So essentially he's surviving on dialysis treatments. So for those of you who don't know what dialysis is, essentially it's a machine that helps remove toxins from your blood by processing it through a machine and then refiltering it into your body. So you're like draining your blood, cleaning it, replacing it with fluids, and then pushing it back in and pulling the fluids out. Um, So it's like extremely nauseating and really, really tough on the patient's body. It's, I mean, sources have said that um, at least 60 to 65% of people on dialysis pass away within five years of beginning their treatment. And given that my dad's a little bit older in age, the effects can, can be pretty evident. Um, I mean, the crazier thing too is like, I can kind of get into this a little bit later, but like some people, even from starting their dialysis treatment, they could accept kidney donations, but by the end of their first year, they're so weak that they can't even there's no way they could ever survive a surgery. So it, it's really interesting because I know a lot of people um, talk about like cancer patients and chemotherapy and like that is a very tough thing to go through, but their survival rates are actually better than people on dialysis. So it was mind blowing to me when I started discovering that and when I started doing my research. But um, I know my dad's strong and I'm actually you know, soon to get married here in six months. So he's definitely pushing forward to make sure he can walk me down the aisle. Um, and this is actually Amy, his, his second kidney transplant. So most patients with kidney disease often need like two to three transplants in their life. But we were so fortunate that my dad's first transplant from his sister lasted, um, 33 years. That's crazy. crazy. (laughs) That is crazy. So obviously Manuel is, not only compliant, but has unbelievably prudent behavior, you know, to take care of his kidneys so, mm-hmm. so amazingly well. Um, yeah. And, you know, nurtures, you know, a gift from his sister mm-hmm. for so long. Uh, so tell us more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll kind of re- rewind. This is it's a crazy story of my parents' life. So, Two years after they got married, my dad was 32 years old. My mom had just had my oldest brother. um, And that's when my dad's kidneys began to fail. You know, one day he was driving and had to pull over because he was could could not stop throwing up throughout the whole day. Um, And it was just very obvious that he was not all right. So they went to the doctor and they're like, hey, you are in stage four renal failure. Like literally he went from one day not knowing that he was sick to like throwing up every single day, the feeling like it, it's been described to me, not from my dad, but from other people that like, it feels like you're hung over 24 seven, the worst hangover that you've ever had in your whole life. And the, the life is just drained out of you. My dad wouldn't be able to give me that comparison because he's like, just never been a drinker. <laughs> um, but yeah, so out of nowhere, his kidneys failed. And back then they, I mean, they didn't really know the cause of this. Like kidney donation, the first transplant happened, I think it was like 1960s. So by 1987, things were still very, very new. And they were still testing new organ transplantation at that time. So um, they were testing some theories. They think that he actually caught the initial virus that wasn't helped by his genetic condition that we soon found out later. But they thought that he consumed some dirty water in Iraq and that it was kind of slowly deteriorating in his body. Um, but so with all this, my dad's angel, his younger sister, who was in her early 20s at that time, I think she had literally just turned 20, 
can't remember her um exact age, but um she stepped up and she donated to him and I think he was only on dialysis for like a couple of months because she was so proactive and yeah, that kidney lasted from nineteen eighty seven to twenty twenty. So twenty twenty was definitely the the crap year with COVID and um my dad's first kidney donation coming to an end because we were hopeful that, you know, maybe this could last his whole life but it's really unheard of to be honest with you because most donations last I think like at most 15 years so he outlived that by twice um so I mean but it's really because he he dedicated his life you know to making sure that he wasn't taking that gift for granted like I said I've I've never been a drug user never in my life have I seen him had a drink of alcohol like um it's just truly beautiful the the way he's approached this and I mean thinking about this too from a timeline standpoint like he had three other children after this he was able to build a life he was like this donation truly created such a chain reaction we have four grandchildren now you know like there's there's so much that have had come from that 33 years of life is a lot right so um it's really humbling the gap and then one on the way so that's eight blessings that have ensued from the gift of his sister and it's a really beautiful story and and a story that we hope's not over right of course yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so I'm assuming his sister was a living kidney donor Uh, can you tell us what the success rates between a living a living kidney donor and a deceased donor are yeah course. Yeah. So his sister was a living kidney donor in her early twenties. And I'm happy to say that she actually ended up leading a completely normal life as well. She actually had twins, um, which is crazy wow. too. Because yeah, some people are some women who want to donate are typically afraid because pregnancy, there can be um some complications with pregnancy with one kidney, but honestly it's very minimal. It just increases your chances of having diabetes during your pregnancy and high blood pressure. Um, but the fact that she was able to have twins and sustain that pregnancy was, you know, amazing. So um but yeah, I mean in general the success rates with living donors are just much more successful than uh deceased donor. And it kind of boils down to like probably four key reasons why. Um I guess the first reason is only like three in a thousand people actually die in a medically possible way where their organs can be donated, which is really small. And um, given that my dad is O blood type and that's the rarest and highest wait time. Like I know in Michigan, our wait time on the deceased donor list is five years. Um, We actually have them listed in Ohio as well because um, Ohio is three years. It's really interesting that when you cross state lines, the wait times change. Um, But still, like I've mentioned with dialysis, it's 60 to 65% of people passing away within the first five years of being on it. Odds of him actually being strong enough to receive that deceased donor kidney is, is really small. So it's like a little bit of like, there's a popu- there's a small population that can actually donate to us and then there's this huge time variable that that is lurking over us um and i mean just in addition to that like living donor kidneys are generally way healthier um because when you have a deceased donor they have to transport that kidney and it's sitting in cold preservation solution for way longer and it's just um it can reduce the organ's function. You know, the more time is not against our side in all fronts, you know? And I mean, after donation too, um, the deceased donor kidneys usually take days or weeks 
to actually become functional in the person. Weeks? So you have this person who, yeah, weeks. Like there's people who are extremely weak and sitting there at post-op and they're on dialysis and they're waiting for this kidney to wake up, like just wake up kidney. Um, and it's common that that happens, like where the, the kidney just doesn't, doesn't click sometimes and it doesn't work. Um, so that's definitely a, a risk with deceased or living donation. But with living donation, I mean, the risk of needing another transplant after the trans, it, it's less than 4%. Let's just put that out there. It's really, really, really small. And those that source isn't from me. It's from mhealth.org. So that's what they've seen with living donors in comparison to deceased donors. Um, the success rates are just, are just way higher. Um, but yeah. I guess there, there's like the other two variables that really play into the living donor aspect of it are living donors completely reduce the wait times that we talked about. Like if you have a living donor step up, it's just, and you, they go through the whole evaluation process. It's just like scheduling an elective surgery, an elective procedure. Like it's just night and day. Um, and you know, I think 20 people actually die every day waiting for an organ transplant, um, which is crazy that the impact that dialysis has on them. And I mean, when a living donor steps up, that also saves another life because there are people who are waiting for that deceased donor because they don't have anyone who could step up on the living side. So every living donor who steps up is essentially not only saving the recipient that they're giving their organ to, but everyone else on the wait list, you know, like, so living organ donation, it's just, it's a really complex thing that has a lot of different layers. But the more you peel the layers back, I think the more eye opening it is about what you're truly, the gift you're really giving to someone, but the gift you're really giving to the world. Like it's, um, it's a really interesting, like, I was so taken back by it. And I know we were talking about this earlier, but like when I was declined, um, that was one of the hardest days for me. Like the nurse purposely made me her last call at five o'clock on that Friday because she knew how, like I cried on that phone call with that nurse, you know, like it, cause not only was I, cause I was actually going to do pair exchange with my dad where I wasn't going to give my organ to him because I wasn't a match for him. I was going to give my organ to somebody else and we were going to create a donation trade where I gave it to somebody else and they gave somebody from their end gave to my dad. And then it creates this ripple effect. Yeah. Um, there's been 16 person chain donations, you know? So like, Oh wow. She told me, yeah, it's, it's insane. So when I heard that, um, it just really humbles you. And, um, that once you figure out and, and really learn about these layers, it's, it's crazy. You know, I've never told you this, Brie. I don't think I have, but I'm trying to remember the year. I want to say it was 2010. But it might, I'd have to go back and look. So I'm going to let you know. Um, my very best friend here, her daughter had a heart transplant. And mm-hmm. back then, uh, and I rem- and she actually grew up with my husband. And uh, she um, and our children are all friends. And anyway, she, uh, we were at the hospital during that whole heart transplant. And afterwards... Her parents were big spokespeople about organ donation. And Mm -hmm. ever since, we've been trying to just educate and learn a little bit more. Not constantly, but here and there. And, you know, uh, and with this resurfacing again, it, it just brings to light the importance of the gift of life. 
And yeah. uh, of course, heart transplants completely, you know, it's different, different process. Uh, and uh, but um, still the importance of donation. And mm-hmm. so, OK, so tell us a little bit more then. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, Amy, like the gift of life as cliche as that sounds I feel like we've used it almost too much at this point we need a new slogan but like that's truly what it is like it's the layers and layers beyond what (laughs) what truly goes into organ donation and I think there's you know obviously we'll potentially discuss this in other episodes too but there's so many misconceptions about organ donation such as like you know the recipient's insurance they completely cover everything the living donor is not responsible for any fees or anything up to follow-up appointments two, three, four years, you know, X amount of time post, post-transplant. They're not responsible for any of that. I mean, the typical recovery time is, I hate to say it, but two weeks. They tell you to take four to six weeks off of work, but in reality, it's truly two weeks. Like, um, if you look on YouTube of people post-transplant, there's a ton of YouTubers who have, like, talked about their experience, um, you know, recovering from kidney transplants. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I think, yeah, with that, I know we're covering next segment and I yeah. think there are, there is a lot of misinformation out there, right. That mm-hmm. we need to probably dissect and really understand a little bit more, especially for any of us out there who might want to consider donating um, to really understand that it's, um, not a super invasive process anymore or super invasive surgery anymore. No, okay. not at all. All right. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, I'll look forward to talking about that um, with you <laughs> next week then. Well, this has uh, been a lot of great information to know, Brie. Thanks for sharing all of that, especially with the rise of kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Um It's probably important for our listeners to know that neither of us are doctors or nurses, right? Um, no. So, uh, but Bree, not only do you have prior knowledge as a family member who was affected many years ago, but you also were trained eight months ago. Was it by Beaumont Hospital? Um, yes. And you also screen patients uh, or applicants, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy story of how that came about. But for with co- when COVID hit, um, they stopped living donor transplantation. So there, once things started opening back up around April, like there was a flood of patients who came in and were critical. And like those nurses were slammed with screening applicants and um, running through all these recipients who were in urgent care. So I essentially called the nurses and I was like, hey, I want to start screening applicants. I don't want to like bombard you guys with anyone who's not actually serious, train me how to do this. Like, what do I need to look out for? What is medical history that would just automatically decline them? And so, yeah, they gave me like a little crash course training on how to screen applicants to essentially like help with the COVID overflow. And so we could, um, you know, screen out the people who weren't medically healthy enough to donate. That's, yeah, that's amazing that you're adding more to your part to help your father. Uh, and helping, um, the, you know, the um, teams of people, you know, reduce their burden as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. obviously, listeners, neither of us, neither Bree or I are claiming to be experts. We're just sharing Bree's, uh, Bree and Manuel's story, as well as some valuable data. We'll be sure to include the sources for your reference. And 
Um, oh, Bree, tell everyone where they can contact you if they have any questions. Yeah, so our email is kidneyforcarcho at gmail.com. And Carcho is spelled K as in kangaroo, A as in apple, R as in rabbit, C as in cat, H as in hat, O as in octopus. Kidneyforcarcho at gmail.com. And we'll make sure to include that too. Oh gosh, Brie, I can't imagine how emotional this is for you and your family. Not once, but twice. (laughs) Not only do you want your father to give you away, give you away in a few months at your wedding, but there's so many more grandkids for him yet to meet, um, like yours. So (laughs) listeners, how about we spread the word about Manuel's story and give him a type O living kidney donor? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Come back next week where Bree and I will continue the conversation, but this time about the kidney donation process. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Bree. Great chatting with you.